The last time I uh, had the opportunity to speak on a Wednesday night, uh, I, I talked about uh, an encounter with, with Jesus, how the woman at the well uh, was changed because of her encounter with Jesus. And we're going to look at a different uh, encounter with Christ tonight. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had the situation where you've, you've had a conversation that hasn't gone completely as planned, or maybe none of your conversations go completely as planned. Uh, I know one of mine, just kind of a monologue, uh, but uh, ended up a few weeks ago, I made a phone call, and uh, they didn't answer, so I went to leave a message, and was... Apologize for the feedback there. I was leaving the message and just kind of kind of stumbled over my words at uh, at an awkward point in the message, and so I was thinking, okay, well, most most answering machines have a way that you know you just push the pound sign and it or the number zero and it lets you re-record your message. So I stopped what I was saying and pushed pound and pushed zero and push nine and eight and seven and six, and it didn't do anything. So now I'm leaving this message, and I've said something awkward, and I have a long pause. So I figure, okay, well, I'll just try to finish the message and make it as least awkward as possible. And then, you know, at the end, sometimes it gives you the option to, uh, to re-record the message. So uh, I, you know, went through the rest of the message, and uh, gave my number and everything, and then uh, waited for some prompt, and it never came. And so there was another long, awkward pause, and, uh, and then it just hung up. And I said, I have, I have no way to, <laughs> to go back and change that now. It's, it's recorded on their answering machine. Um, so I, I had to just laugh at it, but it, it didn't go the way that I had, I had planned. Um, sometimes you know, conversations out when we're, when we're out... Uh, uh, on visitation, you know, they they don't go as planned. You you knock on a door and and you ask for for a certain person, and the one who answers the door says, "Well, they passed away two years ago." And it's like, okay, uh, well, I apologize, uh, but I didn't know. Uh, or or you you know somebody's looking very very gruff and tough, and uh, you know you say, I- "I'm from Faith Baptist Church," expecting them to. You know, slam the door, and they say, "Oh, really? I'm a Christian, and uh, you know, I'm I'm excited to talk with you." And you know, the conversation just doesn't go uh, how you expected. I think this is kind of what happens here in Luke chapter 10, uh, and this is the story of the Good Samaritan. But uh, but the story is not really about the Good Samaritan, uh, and that's the uh, that's the central character of what Jesus says. Uh, but he's talking to uh, an expert in the Mosaic law. And so I want to look at this conversation here uh, between, between Jesus and uh, this lawyer, as he's referred to uh, in, in, chapter, in verse 25. Uh, so let's, let's go ahead and read these, these verses, uh, verse 25 down through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, 
You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was the neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. And so as we look at this encounter between a lawyer and Jesus, uh, I want to look at the statement, uh, God's word must penetrate our heart and apply to our every decision changing us from within. Uh, So with that statement in mind, uh, there's going to be four different points here that we'll look at uh, as we as we analyze the the interaction between these between these two. Uh, First of all, uh, knowing the big questions of life is meaningless when we misunderstand the answers. So knowing the big questions of life is meaningless when we misunderstand the answers. As this lawyer approached Jesus, uh, he, came, uh, he came willingly, it seems. He had the opportunity to ask Jesus anything that he wanted. Uh, now, he may have had some people put him up to this. Uh, we're not told specifically here. Uh, but a certain lawyer came up and tested him and asked him the question. And the first question that he asks is, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when we look at that, at that verse, okay, that, that's a great question. That's the question he should be asking. You know, if, if I had the chance to talk with Jesus, I, I think, you know, that would be one of the top questions on my list if I wasn't quite sure about it. Uh, Each time Jesus talks with somebody, this is a topic that comes up. So this is a good question. This is a valid question that he's asking. Uh, Now, we're not quite sure in what way he was going to to try to test Jesus uh, or what answer he was expecting. But it seems like if he was there, if he was attempting to test Jesus, that maybe this conversation wasn't going as planned. But he came uh, asking this question, uh, this good question, uh, so he had the question right. Uh, and many of his presuppositions were even right. Okay, l- let's just think about what, uh, what was going through his head, what he understood already uh, when he got to this point. Okay, he says, uh, he says teacher. Okay, so he, he gave a little respect to, J- to Jesus. Uh, he, he recognized him as, as some sort of authority. Uh, gave him some credence. And this, the mere fact of asking a question of this weight uh, meant that 
you know, he was, he wasn't just giving him like a, um, a, a pandering question. He was, he was giving him some respect in the question that he asked. He also understood that there, that there was life after death. He believed in life after death. Uh, he wanted uh, t- that question answered. And he understood that there was probably a way to achieve uh, eternal life. And so these, these presuppositions that he had that, that were kind of the foundation of his question are, are good. Uh, but we, he also has some presuppositions that were, that were not good. Uh, where do we see those? Well, the fact that he was coming to test Jesus uh, means that, that he valued uh, either his peers or his education over Christ's authority uh, because he was, by default, putting himself above Christ. He's saying, I have the answers. I'm going to see if he has the answers too. Um, so he's not coming as an inquirer like Nicodemus did. Uh, he's coming with an agenda, with answers that he expects to judge Christ by. And so the wrong presupposition that he had was that he mistakenly believed that he could test Christ, when in reality, uh, as we'll see how the conversation goes, he was the one who was being tested. Uh, so knowing the, the big questions of life is meaningless unless, uh, when we misunderstand the answers, uh, which this man did and would soon be shown. Uh, secondly, an intellectual understanding of God's word is insufficient uh, we see this in verses 26 uh, down through verse, uh, the beginning of verse 29. Just read those quickly. He said to him, uh, Jesus responded, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. So this little interaction here uh, looks, looks pretty straightforward, okay? Uh, because Christ responded to, to the lawyer's question with another question. Uh, you know, what, what does the law say? What, how do you understand the law? Uh, Christ recognizing that this man had studied some. And, and the man answered what we would say as, as correctly, uh, so he says, quoting from Deuteronomy 6, that you should love God and you should love your neighbor. And, and that summarizes uh, the whole law. Uh, that's basically what Christ said himself when asked a similar question in, in Mark 12. Uh, he says these two commandments uh, summarize all the law and the prophets. So when Christ is turning this question around to him, the man, the man knows the answer. He says, you know, Love God, love your neighbor, and, and Christ agrees with him. He says, you got it. Do that, and you will live. So if we stop the question there, uh, it's, it's a valid discussion that they've had. It's a, a helpful theological discussion because we've had some truths that have been confirmed. But it, it doesn't end there, uh, the man has an intellectual, a good intellectual grasp of God's word. Uh, 
for the last couple months during the, the men's Bible study on, on Saturday mornings, uh, we've, we've been looking at, at this topic about only understanding the Bible intellectually. And uh, two of the, verse, uh, two of the uh, verses that really uh, kind of drive this home, that it's not enough to just know it intellectually, uh, are in 1 Corinthians. Uh, let me just read uh, two passages here. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Second uh, Corinthians, or First Corinthians, two, uh, nine to fourteen. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that we have been freely given to us, that have been freely given to us by God. And uh, jump down to verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, uh, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so Paul, in that passage, draws a line between the people that know what the, know what the Scripture says and that take it to heart, that, that know the God of the Scripture that says this. And I think that's one of the, one of the distinctions that Christ is drawing here with this man. Um, he has a good intellectual grasp of Scripture. He understands uh, that that Deuteronomy 6 is kind of functioning as a, as a core of, of interpreting the rest of the Old Testament, uh, that there is one God, and he, he should love God with all of his heart, and he should love his neighbor. And so when we get to that point, he's answered correctly. But then we see in verse 29 that, that even this man knows that something's not right. Uh, because the next phrase uh, says, but he wanting to justify himself. Why would he want to justify himself? I mean, he's just given good answers. Uh, he's just he responded to Christ appropriately. What, what's the problem? Well, I think in some sense he is, he is wrestling with his his real understanding of this passage. You know, he's stated that as the answer, but he's not stated that he has, has done that uh, completely. And so we come to point number three, uh, which is compartmentalized obedience is disobedience. Compartmentalized obedience is disobedience. So the man... Uh, here as he's as he's recognizing what he's saying that Christ has just basically affirmed his statement that if we love God and if we love our neighbors that we will be assured of eternal life and the man's starting to realize here that that unless he unless he qualifies those statements uh he's 
he's not going to make it. Uh, so basically, he wants to compartmentalize and say, well, okay, if I define neighbors as a certain group of people, then, uh, then I, might, uh, I might make it in. Uh, so the expert wanted to limit the scope of his responsibility. Uh, if the neighbors referred to those around him, then maybe he would be fine. Uh, maybe he would. Uh, maybe he had a good enough relationship with his friends and his family members that he might be able to say that he loved them. Uh, there's a chance that you know being a being a religious leader, um, a lawyer, that he would be kind of part of a self-selecting group. So. You know, the religious nerds kind of hang out with the other religious nerds who, who study the, you know, the Old Testament scriptures all day. And, and they probably, I don't know, most of them may get along. So if he's saying, well, if, if we define my neighbor as those people that I spend most of the day with, then, then maybe, uh, maybe it would be okay. Uh, he seems like the kind of person that would have been respected by his peers. Uh, and so these things probably made it easy for him to deceive himself uh, into thinking he was fine in regard to this commandment uh, to love his neighbors. Um, if he could select who his neighbors were, then he shouldn't have any trouble loving them. Uh, so he asked this question, and who is my neighbor? Uh, hope, I guess hoping that Jesus would give him the easy, the easy way out. Uh, but uh, as you can, as you as you well know, uh, that's not what he had. That's not what happened. And so Jesus, instead of just pinning the man to the wall right here by s- stating some some ways in which he has blatantly not loved his neighbor, uh, he simply tells a story. Uh, and the story is is well known. You've probably heard it since you were a child of the Good Samaritan. Uh, and so as we come into this, this section, uh, I want to move on to point number four. Uh, the presence or absence of love for a neighbor is revealed in the course of everyday life. Uh, this is verse 30 through 37. In telling this story, we have three main characters. Okay? The first character is the... Pre- uh, well, we have the the man who was was attacked and left for dead. Uh, He's unnamed, given very little description. I'm not counting him as a character. He's just kind of the foil that all the other characters play off of. Uh, So the first one that steps onto the scene is the priest. Um, This would be somebody who was able to lead in worship, to offer sacrifices in the temple. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, a very important person religiously in the mind of, of the lawyer and uh, the crowd that's that's standing there. He came, he saw the man, and he passed by. Okay, we're not told why, we're not told what went through his mind, but we can see from his actions that he had more important things to do than to help uh, the wounded man at the time. The second character that comes onto the onto the or comes down the path is the Levite. And we, we see the same things. He came, he saw, and he passed by. Uh, also had more important things to do. Levites, if you're wondering what the difference is, they, could not, um, they couldn't offer sacrifices in the temple, but they could do other things uh, relating to the religious ceremonies. And uh, you know, they were the ones who would interpret the law 
Uh, so all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. Uh, so another religious guy and also has more important things to do, didn't want to help this guy uh, who was desperately in need of help. And along comes the third character, uh, the Samaritan. Uh, the actions that are mentioned for him, he came, he saw, he had compassion, and he went to him. Uh, we see from his actions that, that for him nothing was more important than, than taking this time to help the man. Now, a Samaritan in those days, uh, you're probably familiar with this, but they had no, no religious standing. They were basically rejects, outcasts of society, uh, because uh, throughout the history of, of Samaria, they had intermarried with, with other nations and uh, basically betrayed the Jewish nation. Uh, so, so they were hated. Uh, they were uh, despised, saying, you know, you have no, no part in our religion. You have no part in, in this worship of God in Jerusalem. Uh, outcast. The, the closest correlation that, I, that I'm familiar with uh, is when we were in China. And uh, the, the animosity that the Chinese people have against the Japanese uh, from World War II yet is, is still very, very strong. And so there's, you know, there's just this, this stigma about anything Japanese that uh, uh, coming into China is it's very much uh, looked down on. And so I, I can imagine that this would be even more so because they were in such close proximity and had had uh, so many years of, of tension between them. Uh, but we notice that the Samaritan, uh, in contrast to the other two, he didn't just take time to help the man uh, in order to make his conscience happy. Uh, he didn't just do what was needed to do to help and say that he helped. Uh, he legitimately cared for the wounded man. Um, and so he went above and beyond the call of duty, not just taking the man to some place where he could uh, get help, but paying for that and promising to pay more if it was needed. And so we notice that, uh, that in the absence of people watching, in the absence of any external reward, uh, each person acted according to what was inside of their hearts. Each one was doing the same thing. They were all walking down the path. Uh, each one saw the exact same scene. Uh, each one then responded according to his own character. And so in this story that Jesus is telling, he's, he's showing that character is a revelation of what's in your heart. Uh, we also see that each person's value of the others was revealed uh, throughout the story. Uh, I don't know if, you, if any of you know the, the children's book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? I see a yellow duck looking at me, whatever. Um, there was a, a review written on Amazon. I think it's like the second most popular review for this book. But... Uh, he basically interprets the book as a, uh, a dystopian novel of surveillance and uh, people watching one another. And uh, so the whole thing is, is uh, just made up. But basically he's saying, you know, 
one per, you know one animal is watching another animal is watching another animal and they all see the previous animals looking at them but none of them say anything about it um so that aside uh there's in some sense this this story is kind of the same way you start with the injured man there are three people who are looking at him and two of the men view this this wounded man disdainfully uh they treat him as though he is worthless one of them showed him love so those for those three men in their view of the in their viewing of this wounded man they reveal their character then you take one more step back and you have you have this lawyer now who is being introduced to these three men and as he's told this story about the three men he's watching them and he is is having a response to what he sees in each of them uh because Christ asks him a question then you know which one of these was the neighbor so he has to make a judgment on those three men and then you step back even one more step and you have Christ looking at this lawyer and making a judgment about him and basically pointing out to the man that you're not who you think you are you might have the answers you might have the the knowledge but you know you might know that you need to love love your neighbor but you don't uh and he showed it through through this story so Christ realized that something in uh the legal expert needed to change because he wouldn't even mention the word samaritan Christ asked him which one of these was a neighbor and he said referred to him as the one who showed mercy not even as the samaritan the way Christ referred to him um so y- you see some of that stigma even coming out there uh so Christ commands him to go and be like the samaritan uh before the man had could have any hope of eternal life before he could come to the the correct uh understanding of what it meant to get eternal life he had to realize that this was not something that he had already attained that this was not something that he could attain through his own strength all right just a few uh, a few questions as we as we consider this before we go to prayer the the good samaritan story is often you know it's often brought up to deal with with racism and different cultures not getting along and this is uh, a picture of of how things should be and that's certainly a valid application uh, but let's take things personally because it's it's easy to just talk about you know groups of people should should get along should should you know be kind to each other uh there should not be discrimination against uh, different races or different ethnicities um but just a personal question if we were making a list of people like people with names uh or people groups that you should care for specifically maybe maybe that we as a church would reach out to are there any people or people groups that you would not want on that list and if not why not um what does that say about about your heart uh 
what does that say about you know, the way that you view other people that God has created? Do you make judgments of, of your character based on your relationships with your friends or your enemies? Now, that's kind of where, where Christ was going with, with this religious lawyer. Um, because we can, we can view the people around us and say, well, we get along well with them, so we must be a loving neighbor. But Christ says, well, what about the people you don't get along with? Why is it that you don't get along with them? Is it because of you or is it because of them? Uh, Certainly we won't be best friends with everyone, uh, but that doesn't excuse us from loving our neighbors. A third question for us to think about then, do you satisfy yourself with an intellectual understanding of God's word or does your life show a transformation that Christ has brought about? Uh, We can spend a lot of time reading God's Word and looking at linguistic features of it or syntactic features of it, but if we don't let it go from here to here, uh, it can actually push us away from God. We can become hardened to the truths in it and not see that we ourselves are in need of of change uh, that Christ presents here. Uh, so these are some things to think about. Uh, certainly, you know, none of us are are without blame, without condemnation in this area. Uh, but it's a, it's an area that we need to bring before God and ask Him to change, to change how we view others. That as we see others, we be like the Samaritan and have compassion, instead of thinking up an excuse. Uh, some reasons, whether they're good reasons or not, about why we can't help somebody or why, we, why it's not worth our time uh, to show kindness to someone. I think these are important things for us to wrestle through, whether it's just um, you know, neighbors that, uh, that are unpleasant or whether it is uh, some bigger issue. Uh, these are all things that, that need to be transformed by God's grace.